Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, what a special weekend it is. It's always an, a very humbling uh, weekend to uh, just take the time uh, to remember those who have fallen, those who have given their lives uh, for our freedom. And uh, man, we are so blessed. Uh, we were praying this morning. Uh, you know, we don't have to pray in a, in a room. We don't have to come inside these walls because we're afraid of persecution. Uh, we're so blessed. We, we have ampl amplification. Uh, we just sang, hopefully, to the top of our lungs and, and sang it out because we are so blessed with this great freedom. I pray that we don't take it for granted and take advantage of it and use it for God's glory instead. And so, um, uh, again, just a, what, a, what a blessed weekend. And I hope that you're making plans to join us after uh, the second service. I know you guys here in the first service, and y'all are going to have a little bit of time uh, between now and lunch, but please make plans. It's just uh, we don't get to do this every year because we've had some cancellations because of rain and, and other stuff. So it's really an awesome opportunity uh, just to go out to, we're going to be at Frog Camps just, I mean, maybe a minute or two away from here. And uh, all the food and drinks are provided. And we want you to be a part of that. Even if you're a guest, we want to invite you to come out there. We'll have a, a map shown on the screen. You can always ask somebody at the Welcome Center how to get there. Super easy. I think you literally take... Uh, two rights, and uh, the, then you're there. So uh, it's not very hard to, to, to get there. But we want you to be there, and it, it'll be a great time of fellowship today. Well, we've uh, been going through this study in Acts chapter uh, 20, 20 is where we've been. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 21. And uh, last week we saw a couple of points so vital, I believe. The first point was this, suffering and sacrifice must never be shrunk away from. Suffering and sacrifice must never be shrunk away from. And then the point number two was this. Sincere support of leaders is God's essential way forward. Sincere support of leaders is God's essential way forward. And again, we're going to see a little bit more of that this morning uh, just because of where we are in Scripture. But without this unwavering determination to follow Jesus Christ and without this relentless support of leaders that God installs in the church, the work of the church comes to a halt at the very least. And so again, we have to be that church that God has called us to be and see the pattern we see in this first church and, and, it, and at least apply it to our lives. I would say that we should not only apply it to our lives, but we should use it kind of as the foundation uh, to even see greater things and greater work for the kingdom of God because we have 2,000 years of church history to build on. Uh, they, were, they were kind of uh, setting the foundation for what the church would look like, I believe, even now in 2022. And I, can, I can't say, I think there are some amazing things going on in the church around the world, but I can't say in, in the American church uh, that it is a lot like what we saw in the first church. And I'm not just talking about culturally or historically or geographically or any of those things. I'm talking about spiritually. I think that we see a, a great deficit in much of the American church. And I, again, I'm not taking away from anybody in this church or in, in, in uh, certain churches and certain churches around the country that aren't doing amazing things and aren't pursuing God and aren't sharing the gospel at every opportunity and living out their life uh, to the fullest for Christ. But for the most part, I believe that we in this country, because of this great freedom we have, have become extremely spoiled. You know, we've learned lessons from this first church that prayerfully have shown us what it looks like to be the family of God. Prayerfully, it, what it looks like to be the body of Christ. You know, when a, when a generation becomes more enthralled with the world, 
You have to look at the generation before. Who's teaching them to love the world and the things that are in the world? What generation is teaching this generation what to love? Who's going to teach the next generation to love God first? To seek his kingdom first and not this world's kingdom. We saw a tragedy this week here in our own state. We would call a senseless slaughter of innocent lives. And I I don't have any words here on this pulpit. I don't have any words anywhere to describe the heartbreak that exists for those that lost their precious kids and their family members this week. My consolation, I believe our only consolation is that God is in control. That he judges righteously. That he is good regardless of the evil that we see in this world. I think many of us in this room, and you can disagree, I'm not saying this as a political statement, many of us know the problem isn't guns. Again, I'm not trying to be political, but I believe the issue is very clear in Scripture, what the problem is. See, we we can go all the way back to Genesis and see that Cain had no gun. Cain had, we don't even know the weapon, but he murdered his brother because of evil in his heart. Scripture tells us the problem in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's the heart. See, when generation after generation pursues their own interest and pursues the world's interest, even people who claim to be Jesus Christ, and, 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 and we see this, this denigration of society and culture and morality, that, that a generation stands by when God is kicked out of the public place, even embracing the senseless slaughter of the innocent in the womb, rejects any boundaries of gender and sexuality that was given by God, and fully and legally exalts the perversion thereof. The only expected outcome is a completely debased, depraved, and desperately wicked generation who despises God and everything that's good. I will tell you just as much as we know the problem in Scripture, the solution is found in Scripture as well, I believe. It says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In 63, we said that it was a problem when prayer was kicked out of school. Later on, Bible was kicked out of school. Later on, uh, there were um, no expressions of faith being able to be shown on uh, shirts. And then they took prayer out loud out of schools. You can't pray out loud. And they took them out of the locker rooms, and they took them off the, 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 the playing fields. A generation of young people that have been raised in this culture are more driven by what this world offers than what the kingdom of God offers. That's why we need to get back to the word of God and get back to the gospel. Paul said, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
No matter what raising they had, no matter what life they had, no matter what home life, no matter what school they went to, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they're sin? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, the Lord, it says, the uh, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? See, I, I believe we're, we're here on this Memorial Day weekend. And again, after just seeing this, this uh, suffering and this senseless slaughter happen in our own state. I believe that what we need is a generation of adults to care more that their kid is successful in God's eyes. That their kid is actually on God's team. Than hoping their kid does well on any sports team or in any school in this world. God help us as the church to be the church. To be the light. Not just make that a, a coined phrase. We should be the light. Not just say be the light, but actually be the light. Be different. Shine in the light of the glorious gospel. I, I don't know uh, that this young man who, who performed this horrible act in this school could have been saved or would have been saved. I don't know. I don't know his mental capacity. I didn't know him personally, but I know this. I don't think, well, I, I say I don't know. I, I don't think he had any opportunity unless there was someone there in his school, someone in his family, someone in his community who was willing to shine the light of the glorious gospel that he ever heard that Jesus loved him and died for him. The first step any lawmaker should do is repent of kicking God out of the public place in the first place. We talk about laws and policies, and the first thing that any politician should do is repent and ask God to forgive us as a nation, that we've shoved him out of anything that we have, and then welcome him back in. And we as the church, again, need not only be light, but we need to be salt and actually make a difference by living out our faith and sharing it. And be, again, being different than anybody else that, that, that we live around. Today, this weekend, again, remembering these fallen service members who paid the ultimate price to secure and defend our freedom. And no words exist for that as well. To express this deserved honor and respect and gratitude that these men and women deserve. That their families deserve. Paying this ultimate price. By losing their spouse, losing their parent, losing their son or their daughter, their grandchild, their brother, their sister, their friend. Filled with gratitude and somber respect. And I, I do think it's very appropriate that we're in the text that we're in this morning in Acts chapter 21. And I want to jump into this this morning as we consider all of these things. It says in verse 1, we had parted from them and had set sail. We ran a straight course to cause them the next day to Rhodes and, there from, uh, and from there to Patera. So if you were here, if you've been here, you know that the Apostle Paul had called the Ephesian elders down to him as he was heading back to Jerusalem. And uh, they were trying to warn him not to go to Jerusalem, that he probably was going to experience persecution, if not death there. And if you were here, you remember that Paul said, I not only do I basically expect this to happen, because that's exactly what the Spirit has led me to experience in every single city, but I'm ready to give my life as an offering. I'm, I'm ready to pay the ultimate cost, the ultimate price for the kingdom of God. And so it says that, that, that they had left them and they began to, 
take their course back to Jerusalem. Verse 2, and having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we came inside of Cyprus, uh, leaving it, on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and then landed at Tyre. There, the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples there, we stayed there seven days, and we kept telling Paul, and I want you to hear these words. This is Luke. This is a doctor. This is his companion in the ministry at this point in time. This guy's documenting everything that we're reading right now. This guy cared a lot about Paul, and, and the people with Paul cared a lot about him. We already saw how the Ephesian elders did. And so look what, it, look what they said. We kept telling him. So this wasn't a one-time statement. Hey, hey brother, uh, just a heads up on this. You might not want to do this. They didn't do that. It said they kept telling him. They kept having this conversation, right? You can imagine, put it in your context. You're, you're having dinner with somebody, a friend, uh, somebody you serve with in ministry. Y'all are getting together. Um, and who's going to bring it up? Uh, hey, I said something last time. You want to say something to him this time? <laughs> Remember last time what he said to me? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> no way. Remember what he said last time? But they kept telling him, and look at the words, through the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Not to set foot in Jerusalem. Luke and, and the ministry team were convinced that this was the wrong move for Paul to make. They, they were convinced. Through the, he says through the Spirit. It was, it was a spiritual impression on our hearts that Paul was not supposed to go back to Jerusalem. This was going to be a, a, a tragedy. This was going to be a, a, a ministry mistake. It says, when our days there ended, we left and we started on our journey. And while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. What a beautiful picture, right? This is not, this is not the, the, the hometown of Paul. This is not um, the, the, the home church. This is, this is just the body of Christ. This is just the, the people of God caring for and loving the, the work of God, being, being the children of God together. And it says, and after kneeling down on the beach there, and we prayed, they said farewell to one another. And keep marching forward. And when we went aboard the ship, they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyree, we arrived at Ptolemas. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. And on the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, in Caesarea Philippi, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who is one of the seven we stayed with. Some of you know the story of Philip because you were here from the beginning, or maybe you studied the book of Acts already, and you know who Philip was. In Acts chapter 6, there was a problem in the church. The Grecian widows were being neglected, and they said, hey, we got a problem. We need a solution. So they said, okay, here's the solution. Look out from among you seven men of honor's report, full of faith and Holy Spirit, that we can appoint over this business so that we can give ourselves to prayer and the word. So the church did that. They brought to these seven men, and one of those seven men was Philip. We know Philip was also the man that was there going uh, to uh, uh, and, and meeting the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah and said, hey, there's water right here. What, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip says, you can believe in Lord Jesus and, and, and we'll baptize you. The Bible says, though, this little bit more about Philip. He had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. They were staying there for some days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now we say come down. This is north geographically, but it's always, you always read in the Bible, come down from Judea because it's elevated. So it's always coming down even if you're going north. So he came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt around his own feet and his hands. So think about this, right? 
here comes this prophet from Judea, and he meets up with these guys, and he takes Paul's belt, and he begins to bind his hands and his feet. And he says to them, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, bound hand and foot, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, you can imagine, here's the prophet coming to say exactly what their worst fears were, right? They didn't, they didn't want to hear this. This is exactly what they were trying to tell Paul. Look, the Spirit told us that you don't need to go because this is going to happen to you at Jerusalem. And here comes the prophet saying exactly what we are afraid of him saying, or, or, or you experiencing. So verse 12 says this, And when we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Imagine this, again, right? All of Paul's leadership team, all of his friends in ministry, his whole, the whole ministry team, and then all of the residents there in Caesarea who were very familiar with these people. Again, this was part of the, 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 the early church diaspora. And so we see that they have this, this affection. They, look, please don't go to Jerusalem. I mean, we already tried to tell you the Spirit, by the Spirit not to go. Here comes this prophet saying, you're going to be bound and then given over to the Gentiles. Please don't go. This doesn't make sense, Paul. Why do you have to go? Paul answered him, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I love how the Bible gives us a little insight that Paul was not some kind of robot. He was not some kind of just uh, callous servant soldier of, of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that he's here with these people that he's been doing ministry with for months and some of them years. That, that he's, he's, he's tied to them, that the relationships matter. He said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? And then he says this, I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So why was Paul the leader? I believe this is one of the reasons why. Maybe willing to go and do what no one else was willing to go and do. And look at verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Right? They, they kind of gave up, right? That's what it, that's what it looked like. After, after so many people telling Paul, please don't go, please don't go, please don't go. It's not right for you to go. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going you're gonna to die. Don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be in prison. Don't go to Jerusalem. The Spirit's telling us, please don't go. This prophet comes and says, look, the person who owns this belt is going to be not only bound like this, but delivered over to the Gentiles. He said, please, Paul, don't go. And he says, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart because, listen, here's where my heart is. I'm not only ready to go and be bound for Jesus Christ, I'm ready to go and to die for Jesus Christ. And so they said, you know what? Okay, God's in control. Let his will be done. But in all of this, I think one of the first points, and we can draw so many points of this, but what we see in, in the Apostle Paul, and what we're going to see in the ministry team in just a second, is point number one is this. The depth of our commitment to Christ isn't to be determined by the pleasantness of our circumstances on earth. 
The depth of our commitment to Christ is not to be determined by the pleasantness of our circumstances on earth, but how guilty are we of letting that be the, the case? Our, our depth of commitment is to be determined by our Lord's commitment to us. And I believe fully that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was thinking of when he was serving Jesus Christ. Not a perfect man, not a sinless man, not a person that's above making ministry mistakes, but somebody who is obviously willing to lay down his life for the one who laid down his life for him. That's what was driving, and I'm so thankful that there have been men and women who didn't determine their commitment to this country and her freedom and to us by how favorable the battle or the mission was for them in the moment. Amen? I mean, can, you, can you imagine that? So, I mean, I just heard a story of, uh, of, of a young man in, in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and some of just the mess and the craziness and the, 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 just the sad reality that exists around the world. And yet they're there. They're not quitting. They're not running away. We've had men and women who have done that through, whether they saw that there was any point to the mission or they knew what the mission was at all, they were willing to go and serve, and, he, and many of them laid down their lives. For us, they didn't even know us. No matter how bad the, the mission field was or how bad the battlefield was, they completed their mission even when it cost them everything. I'm extremely thankful that those men and women knew their calling. They knew their mission regardless if they knew the details. Regardless of what, if they knew what lied ahead, even death, they were willing to, to face it and charge forward to it. I'm also thankful, beyond thankful, that we have men and women, like we see in the text this morning, who did the same for an even greater cause and calling. The eternal souls of mankind. Salvation for mankind. People like the Apostle Paul, but people throughout history, and even right now, men and women who are giving their lives for Jesus Christ. They're only doing as the Lord Jesus set the example for them to do. As the Holy Spirit empowered them to do, the Apostle Paul would write to the Galatian believers. In Galatians chapter 2, he would say this in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who lives but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this fleshly body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That, that was Paul's mission. That was his drive. So why are you going to Jerusalem, Paul? Why, why do you insist on going when this prophet even comes and tells you that your life is going to be in danger, probably can die for, for going forward in faith in, to Jerusalem? We've tried to, to beg you. We've tried to tell you don't go that direction. But we see the heart of the apostle here and says, look, I'm no longer living for me. I gave that up when I followed Christ. And now I'm not living for me. I'm living for him. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. He realized that it was not about him anymore. Galatians chapter 6, a little bit further in that, in that book, it says in verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Again, we, we live in a time in 2020 when, when our lives are so wrapped up in this world, all of us were so inundated and so infatuated with this world. 
I feel like when we read this, the reason why we don't see a whole lot of this is because the way our world and culture works is we are so far removed from this kind of lifestyle that it seems like it's almost untouchable. Who will live this life? Who who will live like this? Uh, The depth of our commitment to Christ is not to be determined by how favorable our circumstances are on our earth, but that's how we operate as the church in 2022. Well, if I got time to make it to church, I guess I will. If I got, well, I, you know, I got a lot of other stuff going on. I don't know if I can make it to that fellowship. Well, you know what? I know I've got a friend. You know who I'm going to, I'm going to get Brother Jeffrey to go talk to my friend. Ask him to share the gospel with my friend. Well, you share the gospel with your friend. Not that Brother Jeffrey wouldn't be willing to go and share the gospel with your friend, but why aren't you sharing the gospel with your friend? Well, I don't want them to. No, the depth of our commitment to Christ is not to be determined by the favorableness of our circumstances on earth. We've got to stop living like that. We've got to stop living like, is it convenient for me to live for Christ or not? No, stop. We've got to stop that. We've got to start living like the first church was living. He says, "The, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm not for this world anymore. I used to be for the world. Man, I lived for me. I was, a, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. People feared me. I could rock, rock it into a house and, and, and take whoever I wanted, take them back to prison. I, people feared me, respected me. I had money. I had esteem. I had all those things. And, and they would say, but all the things that I used to think were important, now I count them like dung for the cause of Christ. Again, if you remember, Paul had already told the Ephesian elders that he was ready to die for Christ in the path of obedience. Many of us are so sold out to the world and what it offers that we would and will shy away from adversity in the path of obedience. Second Timothy chapter 2, Paul would say there, for my son, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And listen to what he says, suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. And the reason he doesn't is so that he can please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If anyone competes as an athlete, he doesn't win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, the gospel and Jesus Christ, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. It's a trustworthy statement. If we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. I've shared this along the way, this, this scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, for if you've been called, I'm sorry, for you have been called 
for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. He suffered for you so that you would follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he didn't revile in return. And while he was suffering, he uttered no threats. Hey, I'm God, I'll get you back. He didn't say that. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. To the Philippians, Paul writes, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So have the same mind that Jesus gave to you that he had himself. What was that mind? Who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God anything to be, a thing to be grasped. But this is what he did. So let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself. By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God, in the form of his own creation and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a criminal's cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The depth of our commitment to Christ and his cause should surpass that of our own and that of the cause of the world and the cause of anything. But Christian, this morning, if it doesn't, are you sure that you're truly his? I think we need to answer that question honestly. If I'm not changed if my life is not different, if I'm not living for Christ, am I his? If I'm so enamored and so enthralled and so committed to and so focused on and so wrapped up with the world, is Christ my Lord or is the world my Lord? Galatians chapter 2 says that if we're his, that we're dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The depth of our commitment to Christ isn't to be determined by the, favor the favorable circumstances on this earth. It should be determined by our Lord's sacrifice for us. What does my life look like in comparison to that? Acts chapter 21, back in our text, verse 15, after these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. <laughs> please don't go, Paul. Please don't go, Paul. Please don't go, Paul. Hey, the guy's going, the guy who owns this belt, he's going to be bound, delivered over to the Gentiles. Oh, Paul, please don't go. <laughs> no, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm willing not only to be bound, but also to die for Jesus Christ. I'm going. Verse 15, we got ready 
and we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Not like, okay, Paul, see you later, brother. Good luck. You know, we're going to be praying for you. Hope all goes well. No, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to, to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went with us to James, who was the pastor of Jerusalem at the time, and all the elders who were present. And he greeted, greeted them. He began to relate one, uh, one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard what was going on, they began to glorify God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. And they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them, not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come, and there's going to be a problem when they find out you're here. Therefore, do this that we tell you to do. So we're going to try to avoid this problem among all the Jews who have come to faith in Christ, who have heard that you're going around telling all the Jews there in in, in Gentile nations that they don't have to circumcise their kids anymore, which is according to the custom of, uh, of Moses. So we're going to do something to try to circumvent a problem here in Jerusalem. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them along with yourself and purify yourselves there and pay their expenses. Take care of their expenses. You you foot the bill. You all go and purify yourselves there at the temple so they may shave their heads and all will know that there's nothing to do. I'm sorry, there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we already wrote. Remember Acts chapter 15, Jerusalem Council, it was already determined. We already decided that they should sustain from meat, sacrifice to idols, and for blood, and for what is strangled, and from fornication. So what does Paul do? Paul say, you guys are crazy. <laughs> I just shared with you everything God was doing in these Gentile nations, and how many people have been saved, and, and how much the Holy Spirit revealed himself, and all of this, all of the work. It's obviously the work of God. You guys are crazy. Why, why am I going to do this? What does Paul do? Paul took them in the next day, purifying himself along with them. They went to the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. It's part of the vow. The reason why Paul and, and they believed they had to do this because they had gone to Gentile nations that were considered unclean. So they had to go through this seven-day process of going to the temple, shaving their heads, uh, having these uh, mikvahs and these, these cleansings, and then they'll offer a sacrifice at the end of it to complete their vow. So they go through this process. Why? I think Paul would say it like this, that he, would, uh, he, he didn't want to offend in anything. Uh, to the Jews, he became as a Jew. To the Gentiles, he became as a Gentile. Not that he compromised his life, uh, to do the law to be saved or that he became like a, a pagan Gentile and began to sin again so that he could win those. No, no, no. It wasn't like that at all. Paul simply said, you know what? It's not, it's not so that I'm cleansed. It's so that I don't offend. But what I want to see this morning, and I'm going to close, is this second point. If you remember back to 15, verse 15. 
It said that they went up with him. Point number two is the dedication to the cause of Christ must be absolutely mutual in the church. Remember what it said in Philippians chapter 2? Fulfill my joy that you all be of the same mind, of the same heart, that you be of one accord, that you be together. Go in the same direction for the cause of Christ. Let Let the mind of Christ be in you, he said. They were begging him in chapter 21, verse 12. They heard this. We, as, as long as the, uh, along with the local residents, began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Again, Paul said, you're breaking my heart. I'm, I'm not only ready to be bound, but die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they said, thy will be done in verse 15. After these days, we got ready. Start up on our way to Jerusalem. Hey, church, in 2022, we've allowed so many things to divide our thoughts and our hearts from one another. We get wrapped up in this world and we get separated in the cause of Christ. We have to ask ourselves, is that honoring to the Lord? These guys, it wasn't a worldly issue. I mean, it had to do with worldly things. They were afraid of him being imprisoned and, and, then, and then possibly die. This wasn't even worldly issues. It wasn't who was going to be president, who you're voting for, what policies do you think, what do you think about this, what do you think about that, what do you think really happened? None of that stuff. They were talking about life or death for the cause of Christ. We're supposed to be in this together, not allowing the things of the world to divide us. And if they do divide us, how much does the world influence then? Right? If, if, if Paul in this church said, look, please don't go. You're going to die. You could possibly die. And Paul says, look, I'm not afraid of doing that for, for Christ. And they said, look, Paul, you may be ready for that, but we're not. I mean, we've got stuff to do. You know, we've got other things to do in this life. We want to live some more in this world. We're not ready to go to Jerusalem and die. No. It says they said, all right. Our lives are for, for the king. We're in this together. We're surrendered for the cause of Christ. We're with you, Paul. We don't want you to go because we think you're going to be the one they target, but we're going with you. Oh, that that would be the church today. That we wouldn't allow anything to keep us from being mutually committed to the cause of Christ. We just read again in Philippians chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of it again. He says, just in the first couple of verses, if there's any encouragement in Christ, you want to be encouraged in Christ? If you want to have comfort from the love that only exists in the body of Christ, if you want to participate in what the Spirit is doing at all, if you want to, if you want to have experience any type of affection and sympathy as a Christian, Paul says this, then complete my joy. Here's how it works. Be of the same mind. Have the same love for the same things. Being in full accord and of one mind. Well, I believe the founders of this nation had a cause that was noble. I believe that. Again, we're not... We're not, disagree- We're not going to have arguments or disagreements on, on, on I'm, I'm just trying to make a point. So I don't think that. Listen, stay together with one heart, one mind for the cause of Christ. 
That's just simply what I believe. If you can disagree, that's fine. I believe for some of them, they thought the cause was divine. They wrote it. They, they said that. This is a mission from God. It should be a shame to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would have a lesser dedication to his cause than they did to ours. It would be, it's a shame. If we say we're blood-bought, that, that, that we've been transformed, that literally the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, that we have a guarantee that we're going to heaven because we are his children. We've been radically changed. We're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed. All things have become new. If we truly are a child of the living God, if that's the case, it's a shame. If the cause of the founders of this nation, their dedication to it surpasses our cause today for the King of Kings. See, they never knew us. We can read about them in history books, and we can read about the, the James Madisons and the Thomas Jeffersons, and we can read all about them and, and try to understand what, where, where their minds were and where their hearts were and their commitments. We can read about history, what they gave, what they sacrificed, all these, the, the, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We can see all of that and understand, man, they were, they were, they were dedicated and they never knew us. Hundreds of years later, we're reaping the benefits of, of their dedication. But if we're his, we definitely know him. And we know what he did for us. Very clearly, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't have to know if Somebody was on one side of the political aisle or, or another. I don't have to know where they stood with slavery, whether they thought it was evil or they embraced it. I, I don't have to know any of that. We can see what history tells us and we can read that. And, and if that surpasses our commitment to the one who was sinless, and died for us as sinners? Not when we got good enough, but while we were sinners. And shame on, shame on us. Here's what they pledged to each other. And here's what those people who never knew us pledged to us. On the final line of the Declaration of Independence, it says this. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Men and women throughout the history of this nation have given their all for this freedom. Some of you maybe in your family have lost service members in the, in the, in the course of service. Friends, maybe. Many have given their lives for this freedom. Many of those who signed that declaration knew that they were signing their death warrants. A great cause, freedom. And for many of them, the freedom was to worship God, to be the church that God intended for them to be. But here we are in 2022. And what are we doing? 
I'm going to be honest. What we're doing is we're complaining about money. We're complaining about gas prices. We're complaining about empty shelves with no worry of going to the next city to proclaim Christ and possibly give our lives for him. Maybe we should take a serious spiritual inventory on this Memorial Day weekend. We're talking about sacrifice and we're talking about giving all. Maybe we should take a real serious look at our spiritual inventory. What are we doing? What, who are we really living for? Are we living for Christ only when, is our heart fully in it? When everything is wonderful? Maybe the spiritual inventory needs to be taken. Are we really Christ? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what is my dedication going to look like to him when he comes? If Christ were to come today, what does your dedication to him look like? Are we really in this together? He's going to be looking for his church to be together. Are you with the leaders of this church? Are you with the leaders of this church only as long as things are pleasant and circumstances are favorable? The Bible says, Luke and them said, don't go, man. Don't do it. Paul, we love you. You're our brother. We've seen a lot of things happen, but don't go. Don't go. Please don't go. Paul said, we're going. I said, all right, let's go. We need that kind of dedication in the church. Let's be the light. Man, there's got to be a change in our nation. There's got to be a change in the church first if there's going to be a change in the nation. I pray it would start with us, start with me, and it would just ripple out. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives. Thank you for the great sacrifice that you've paid or the debt, our debt, that we could never pay or repay you for. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me, that you'd forgive us as a church, forgive us as a nation. We, we don't like the things that are happening. We don't like the fact that prayer was taken out of schools and the Bible was taken out. And we don't like that Ten Commandments were taken out of the public square and down off the school walls. We don't like that abortion was made legal. We don't like all those things, but the reality is we live our lives often like we're okay with it. Because as long as we have our lives the way we want them, then we can just fuss and we can gripe and complain and nothing changes. And I pray that you would help us to not be content like that anymore. I pray that we would be on fire for you. God, that we would be who you called us to be, that the light that is in us would shine so brightly, that we would be salt that actually does affect the people around us and the community we live in, and that would ripple out to our state and our nation. That you took 12 men, and the world was turned upside down starting there. There's no way you're not still doing that today. I just think that we, as especially American Christians, are so focused on this world and what it offers. We're just not really consumed with you. We're just not really consumed with your kingdom. We're not really consumed with, with being who you've called us to be, only at our convenience. 
And I pray that would change, Lord. Again, start with me. Start with this church. And I pray you'd help us now as we respond to your word. Help us respond rightly. Lord, if there is somebody here that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray they heard those words that we read this morning. That you died for us while we were sinners. That you rose again. And that they can have eternal life if they would put their faith in you. I pray that if there are any, anybody like that this morning, they would come this morning as well to this altar and ask, what do I have to do to be saved? And we'll praise you for what you do, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as the music's played, I want to encourage you to come.